Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. It reads as follows. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 1021. 1021 in the black pew Bible in front of you. We have been in a study in 1 John for the past several weeks. 1 John is written, this letter is written that Christians would have certainty that they would have assurance that they are indeed Christians. It is to that end that the writer here, the Apostle John, offers several tests of assurance in chapter 2. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first test of assurance, that being obedience. We looked at that in verses 3 through 6 particularly. The moral or ethical test of knowing God is obedience to the things of God. How can someone know that they are a Christian? The first test is that is their obedience to the things of God. What God has commanded are those the things that we are doing. One writer says, obedience reveals commitment to Christ. Obedience reveals commitment to Christ. Well, following that first test in chapter 2, John continues with a second test. If the first test was a moral test, then this second test could be called a social test, which, spoiler alert, the test is love. Let's get, get it right out of the way right now. The test is love. We see it in verse 10. It's only mentioned once, the word love, that is, is only mentioned once in this passage. But it is the commandments that John is talking about when he says there's no new commandment, but an old commandment. He's talking about the commandment of love. This theme, this commandment is emphasized throughout the letter of 1 John. 55 years ago, 1967, Some of you, well, not you, but some of you would remember 1967. In 1967, the Beatles, 
You know who the Beatles are? All right. The Beatles, these are young children down here. <laughs> Just kidding. Teenagers. The Beatles recorded a song, and the song was called, All You Need Is Love. Very good. Very cultured group we have this morning. Well, according to some, it is said that John Lennon came up with this song. He was one of the singers in the Beatles. Came up with this song for a live international broadcast. So he came up with it because they were going to go live to an international audience. And supposedly, he developed the song around a, a word that would be known in every language. And that is the word love. Now, it's true that love is a common word. I think we would all agree with that. And some may think everyone knows what the word love means. But we actually know that not everybody does know what the word love means. And in fact, the word love can mean different things to different people. So when you hear the fallacy of love is love, you know that that's not actually true. Not necessarily true. Love actually has a definition but it can mean different things. In the Greek language, for instance, there are multiple words for the word love. So in the Greek, when it uses the word love, there's actually different meanings even within the word love in the Greek language. In the New Testament, there are two of the four Greek words uh, mentioned in the New Testament, uh, the Greek New Testament, but there are actually four Greek words. Uh, the first word is the word called storgi which is a familial love. This is the way a parent would love a child. The second word is the word eros. That is a, a couple's love or a, or a lover's love, a passion. This is what we mean when we say we're in love. This is a husband and a wife. This is face-to-face -face love. The third and one of the words we find in the New Testament is the word phileo. Many of you know this word because it's where we get our word Philadelphia. Brotherly love. This is friendship love. If, if eros is a face-to-face -face love, then phileo is a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder love. And the final word that we see in the Greek New Testament, in the Greek language, is the word agape. Agape applies to how God loves us and how Christians are to love one another. This is a deep, abiding affection it is an unconditional and self-sacrificial type of love. Here in 1 John, the word love, verse 10, is the word agape. That's what this word means. It's a love that is derived from the will, not merely from our emotions. It is how God loves his people and how his people are to love one another. In fact, Romans chapter 13 tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. Francis Schaeffer once wrote that love is the mark of a Christian. Love is how the world knows who actually are Christians. That's what Jesus said. They will know us by our love. And here in 1 John we find out it's actually how Christians know that they are Christians by our love. Well, John began this section by identifying his audience with an adjective. You see it in the first word of verse 7, beloved. Beloved, or loved by God, or dear friends, right? John was here disclosing his affection 
It is heart for the readers. The readers being the church, the people of God. It's to these Christians that John was writing for the purpose that they would have confidence to know that they know God, to know that they are a child of God. So he started here after this adjective with an explanation of the commandment to the beloved. And he tells them that this commandment was old. Look at it in verse seven. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now again, the commandment is the commandment to love. We'll see that again in verse 10. But we also note here that he says no new commandment in its singular, not plural. Last week, two weeks ago, when we looked at obeying God's what? Commandments. It's in the plural. Now here he's using it in the, the singular. So we could say that the obedience to God's commandments means specifically to love one another. Meaning if you want to obey God's commandments, love one another. Because by loving one another, back to Romans chapter 13, we are actually fulfilling the law of God. This is what God is calling us to. And how is this an old commandment? He says it's not new, but it's old. How is it old? Well, we can tell that it's old because of where it is first found. It is first found in the Old Testament. In a place like Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. Or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's actually these two scriptures that Jesus takes and combines together in the Gospels when he is asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? They were trying to trap Jesus into putting one commandment higher than the others. And Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment. And he starts with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, saying that the greatest commandment is this. This is Mark chapter 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus basically takes these two commandments, merges them into uh, a summarization of, of the law to say that if, if, you, if you fulfill this, then you're fulfilling what God has called you to do. You're fulfilling the commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. We love God by loving our neighbor. So we see it from the Old Testament, but we also here learn that it was from the beginning, John says. This beginning does not refer to the beginning of time. It's not the beginning, meaning the beginning of creation, but talking about the beginning of the Christian life. If you just turn uh, one page over to chapter 3, verse 11, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, John writes this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Again, we see him pick it up in chapter 3. We'll see him pick it up in chapter 4 as well, this theme of love. John concludes verse 7 by saying that, uh, that the old commandment is the word that they have heard. They've heard about this. 
The Christians in the early church had heard about this. They had heard what, what God had said through the Old Testament. The prophets, or the, excuse me, the apostles had, had told them these things. It is indeed an old commandment to love one another. That part seems abundantly obvious to us, that it's old. But then we read verse 8, and this sounds quite contradictory. Look at verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, in which it is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, I'll just remind you of what verse 7 says. I am writing no new commandment. And then verse 8 says, it is a new commandment. So which is it? <laughs> right? Same guy writing both those sentences. What is he saying to us? That sounds contradictory. If you read that just plainly, you might say, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Is it old or is it new? Well, the answer is yes. It is old and it is new. The New um, American Standard Bible writes verse 8 like this. On the other hand, it is a new commandment. So yes, it's old. Yes, we, we, we've, we've read about this in the Old Testament. Yes, we've heard about this from the, the, the apostles. From the, but it is new. One writer says, it is old in teaching, but new in practice. John called this commandment new, but he's not doing that by himself. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what's, what's happening here? How is this new? It's new in emphasis. It's not a new command to love. But when Jesus came, he made it new in its emphasis, not in its time, in its emphasis. Jesus extended a new meaning by his life and his death. Here in verse 8, we see that this new commandment is true, uh, middle of the verse, which is true in him and in you. The in him is in Christ. This is new in Christ, that Jesus has extended a new meaning, a new emphasis to this command. It's true in him, and it's true in you. And we'll get to that in a second. Theologian William Barclay identifies three ways this love has a new emphasis. And the first is that it is new in the extent to which it, is, it reaches. It, to the extent to which it reaches. Meaning this. That when Jesus came, he came not to love the people who loved him. He came to be a friend of sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to demonstrate God's love while we were still sinners. While we were still enemies. This is the extent to which the love goes. The gospel the gospel came, Jesus came, the, the word, the, the promise of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life came not just for Israel, but for all the nations. Eventually the gospel came to all, the, the extent of this love goes far. But not only that, secondly, it was new in the length to which it would go. This love that Jesus loved with went all the way to the cross, this was love to the death. 
We live in a time where I'll love you if you love me, but if you stop loving me, then I'll stop loving you. That's not what this love is. That's not what this love is. This is the difference. When we say love is love, that's not necessarily true. This love has, has a length, meaning it goes unconditionally, and it goes self-sacrificially all the way to the cross. Again, if you turn to 1 John chapter 3 again, looking down to verse 16, 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Here's what love is. Love is willing to sacrifice ourselves for someone else. The length to which it goes, that's the new emphasis. And thirdly, this love is new in the degree to which it is realized. The, the degree to which it is realized. Meaning this, look again at verse 8. It says that this is true in him and in you. It's true in him, in Jesus, and it's true in you. True meaning it's genuine, it's real, it's truly expressed. This love is truly expressed in Jesus. There's no, no doubts about that, right? We see that so very clearly in the way Jesus came, in the way he died. But then he says, and in you. This love is not only truly expressed in Jesus, but it's also truly expressed in his disciples, Disciples are called to love others as Christ has loved them. Again, going back to the Gospel of John, in chapter 15, Jesus says this, This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's not just love one another. It's not just that Christians are to love, period. It's to love as Christ loved us. And this is the new emphasis. This is the distinction that's, that's coming as Jesus comes onto the scene or as he uh, gives to us a new emphasis of this command. It's not just to love. It's to love as Christ loved. This commandment is new because of Jesus. We keep reading, right? Start in the middle of verse 8 with me where it says, Which is true in him and in you. Why? Because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. The true light here refers to Jesus. It refers to the coming of Jesus. It refers to the incarnation, meaning Jesus becoming flesh, being born of a virgin, God becoming man, the light dawning. As Isaiah 9 says it this way, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Jesus is the light that's dawning. Because Jesus has come, because this light has come, we have a new emphasis to the command to love. The arrival of Jesus marked the beginning of the end of what John calls this present evil age. That is what we are in today. This is the present evil age that John says is passing away. It, that's not in the past tense. It's in the present. It's passing. It's ongoing. It will pass away, but it's not yet. Clearly, right? Clearly it's not passing away yet, but it will. And the marking of that is the arrival of Jesus himself. This age will 
one day come to a close and we know it because the light has already, is already shining. And that's Jesus. So in light of what Jesus has done, this Old Testament, excuse me, this Old Commandment is made new. So it's old and it's new. And then John gives to us three examples of how this test of love is then applied. Right? So, so we got the command, right? We got the command is to love one another. We got that that's an old commandment. We got that Jesus has come and it's new. It's new in emphasis. It's new in the, the extent to which it, it goes, the length of it, all of that. We, we get all of that. Now John shows, shows us an application. And we're going to use some language from, from a writer named James Montgomery Boyce to summarize these points. And the first is, the conduct of love is profession without love. The first is, verse 9, profession without love says this, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. This is profession without love. Now, John has, has done this already in the first two chapters. We've seen it multiple times where John says, if you say this, but you do this, you're lying. Just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. We, we all get that, right? This is hypocrisy. This is lying. This is deception to say one thing and to do another. And John's bringing the same idea here in verse 9. Whoever says that he's in the light, but he hates his brother, is still in darkness. One writer says, it is impossible to be in fellowship with the Father and out of fellowship with another Christian at the same time. It's impossible. And what here John is saying is that someone says that they're walking in the light. Someone says that they're in the light, and yet they have hatred for their brother. They, they detest their brother. They, they have, or or there's love less for their brother. Again, in the word hates here is a, is a present tense as well. It's an ongoing nature of, of, of the action. Right? He continues to hate. Whoever says that, but is doing that, clearly is not what they said they were. They're not in the light, but rather they are still in darkness. Now, we want to remind ourselves of the setting for John. John, the apostle, is writing. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a church that's going through a bit of a, a traumatic time because there's a group of people who were seceding from the church and becoming false teachers, teaching things that were not true about Jesus, not true about Christianity, and yet claiming still to be Christians. And so he's saying to his group, though those people run around and say they're in the light, here's the reality. If they're hating their brother, then they're in darkness. So who would be the brother in this scenario? It would be John. John would be the brother. So he's saying, these people are saying they're in the light, yet they have hatred for me. That may be very well the application that John is making, but you and I can make it as well whether we are in this, the exact same scenario or not, the idea here is that saying one thing and doing another doesn't mean that you're right. These professing Christians are proving to be in darkness because of their lovelessness, because of their hatred for their brother. Hatred, <coughs> hatred of one another has no place in the people of God. Amen? It has no place among the people of God, in any nature, not just towards one another, towards anyone. 
The Christian is never called to hate anyone other than to hate sin. We are never called to hate a brother. We are never called to hate the world or, or people of the world. That is not the nature of what Christianity is. The nature of Christianity is to love. Doesn't mean we never say no. Doesn't mean we never call out something to be false. But it is that we never hate. Christians are called to love, not to hate. Now, as you read verse 9, you might say to yourself, well, you know, there's some people that are hard to love. Let's be honest, right? Not everybody is as is, is easy to love as you, right? Right? You, you might think, why does, there, why does people have such a hard time with me, right? But John is not writing to people who are struggling to love and failing. That's not what he's writing about. You might say, man, I, I kind of messed up this week. You know, I, I was kind of mean to, to, to uh, another a brother or to a sibling or, to, or whatever. That's not who John's writing about. John is writing about the person who says they're in the light and yet continues to hate the brother. They're not trying to do better. They're not trying to love. They're not trying and failing and succeeding at times. No, they're willfully, intentionally continuing in hate. And John says to that one, to that one who's continuing in their hatred, continuing in their disobedience, that one, that one is in darkness. John is identifying those who make a profession but have no evidence of the profession. What follows a profession that you are a Christian is love for one another. That is an objective evidence. Now, some people don't like to be judged, right? You're getting too judgy. Maybe some of you feel it right now. Sorry. Here's the reality. If you claim to be in the light, there is evidence of being in the light. You don't get to just say, I'm in the light. There's evidence of being in the light. You don't get just to say, I'm a Christian. No, there's evidence of being a Christian. And here John says the evidence is that you love one another. That's the evidence. Regardless of what one says, if they hate the brothers, the reality is that they are, they are in darkness. And of course, then this would put into question their very profession. Naturally. Verse 10 then describes the positive. If that's a negative example, here's the positive or the contrasting or, or the counter example in verse 10 that love arises out of the light. Look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now here we see two of the main themes in the book of 1 John. Love and light. Love and light. And they are not mutually exclusive. They actually go together. They are not distinct from one another. They're actually dependent upon one another, meaning that being or abiding in the light means loving your brother. And loving your brother means abiding in the light. These are synonymous or they're, they're, they're one that follows the other. Warren Wearsley puts it this way, loving other Christians means treating them the way God treats them. God who is, we remember from chapter 1, verse 5, light. The commandment to love your brother is a repeated command all throughout the New Testament. It's not just here in 1 John. It's in 2 John. It's in the Gospel of John. It's in the book of Romans. It's in 1 Thessalonians. It's, it's, it's in 1 Peter. Throughout the New Testament, it is clear that we are to love 
one another. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, if a person knows God, he will keep his commandments. And if he keeps his commandments, he will love others according, in accordance with Christian teaching. What it means to obey God's commandments is to love God and to love people. That's what it means. So you can't say you're one without the other. Well, verse 10 continues. It says that in him, the one who abides in the light, in him there is no cause for stumbling. John goes on to say that as we abide in the light, we walk in such a way as to not stumble. There'll be no cause for stumbling. This is referring to our own stumbling, not causing other people to stumble, but ourselves stumbling. One commentator writes, there is nothing in the people who walk in the light that will cause them to stumble because they're in the light. Jesus says it this way in John 11, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So in the light, no stumbling. And then, of course, the reverse would be true. So then this way of love is not an exception. Right? This call to love is not an exception. It's not just what the, 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 the real religious people do or the real spiritual people do or the real people who love Jesus. No, this is the call to all Christians. It is the rule. It is the way of life for a Christian. It is the daily habitual lifestyle of a Christian. That is the call to love one another. This is seen practically in the New Testament through what we call the, the one another commands. Commands like Romans chapter 12, verse 16, be of the same mind to one another, one to another. Do not judge one another. Receive one another. Admonish one another. Edify one another. Bear one another's burdens. Use hospitality one to another. And there's many, many more. The way that we love one another is just that way, as the scriptures have said. Finally, we see in verse 11, a ne another negative example, hatred leading to greater darkness. Look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hatred <clears throat> leads to greater darkness. That's what John is saying. It leads to sinful behavior, and it leads to spiritual blindness. Do you note the, the, the progressive consequence here? Look, look at verse 11 again. But whoever hates his brother first is in the darkness. That's the first thing, in the darkness. And secondly, he walks in the darkness. So not only is he in the darkness, now he's walking, he's active. This is doing, this is action, walking in the darkness. And finally, it does not know where he is going. Again, Jesus' words in John chapter 12, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. One commentator uh, named Vincent writes this, where love is, where love is not, there is hatred. Where love is not, there is hatred. 
Where there is hatred, we could say, there is darkness. Where there is darkness, there will be blindness. And who is it that does the blinding? But Satan himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. There's a deception that creeps in. There's a deception that creeps in when we we are in the darkness for so long we don't even know where we're going anymore. It's a real danger. And John is pointing it out. We don't even know where we're going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is showing in these verses the contrast between light and darkness, between love and between hate. The late John Stott writes, our love and hatred not only reveal whether we are already in the light or in the darkness, but actually contribute towards the light or the darkness in which we already are. So not only does love and hatred demonstrate that we are in the light or in the darkness, but it actually contributes to the fact that we are in light and in darkness. As we look at verses 9 through 11, John is describing the outcomes of light and darkness, of love and of hatred. You can see the negative outcomes of hatred. What are they? They're living in darkness. There's this deception. There's this deception that overcomes or comes over. We also see that they become a stumbling block for themselves. The outcome of hatred is that spiritual growth is impeded. What are the positive outcomes of love? The positive outcomes of love is that we live in light. And because we're living in light, there's no cause for stumbling. And there's spiritual growth that occurs. No stumbling, no blocks, no no prevention from growing in our walk with Jesus. So how do you respond to that test? This social test. This social test that we read in verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. If you were to take the test today, are you abiding in the light? Are you loving your brother? To walk in the light is to walk in love. We cannot have one without the other. Light and love go together. So maybe a a personal question for you this morning is, what is the evidence in your life that you are walking in the light? What is the evidence that, that you are abiding in the light? What's the evidence that you're walking in love? How could you? Turn with me just again another page over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Let's start in verse 17. By this love, by this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Then verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The motivation to love one another is not in order that we would have assurance. That's not the motivation for it. That is the natural response of it, but it's not the motivation for it. The motivation for loving one another is because we have been loved by Jesus, and we are then called to love because of it. God has demonstrated his love for us. If you've never heard that before, if you've never experienced that before, let me tell you about it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, While we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die. That's how God demonstrated his love for us. It's the response, it's our response to say, Yes, I believe that. Would you forgive me my sins and save me? And in so doing, we have received the love of God. And what then? What do we do then but to love in return? We love him because he first loved us. Christian, if you do know the love of God, if you have experienced the love of God this morning, let me ask you this. Are you known for your love? Is that what you're known for? If someone were to describe you, would they say, that person loves people? Would that be the description that's given? Turn with me back to John, the Gospel of John. Chapter 13. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 900. John chapter 13. Page 900. Jesus. Jesus has just um, spent the night in the upper room washing the disciples' feet. He's giving them further instructions. And here he's giving them this new commandment, which we talked about already. But listen to verses 34 and 35. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by this, what's the this? The love for one another. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not if you go to a certain church. It's not even if you know all the Bible verses. It's not even if all your theology is in order. It's not if you haven't done what the guy beside you did. That's not what we're known for, according to Jesus. What we're known for is our love for one another. The brothers and sisters, if we get love for one another right... Again, Romans 13, we fulfill the law of God. Start there. You might say, the Bible's a big book. There's a lot of things that God's calling me to. I'm not sure if I'm going to get it all together in my lifetime. You won't. But get this one. Right? Get this one. You know what this means. 
to love one another. What if that's what First Baptist Church was known for in this community? What if that was what your family is known for in this community? When your name comes up, it, it's synonymous with they love other people. Jesus says that's how people will know. John, the, gospel, the, the epistle of John tells us that that's how we'll know that we are Christians. May God help us this week to abide in the light, to love one another, that the world may know that we are Christians and that we may be assured that we are his. Would you pray with me? Father, we give thanks. We give thanks for your word. But your word is not a burden to us. Your commandments are not burdensome. They are for our good. They're for our delight. It actually is in fellowship with you. It's by walking with you where we enjoy. We enjoy life. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, the psalmist says. So God, would you help us to be obedient this week? Would you help us to obey the commandments that you have given to us? That according to 1 John, we obey those commandments by, by obeying the commandment to love, to love one another. God, by loving one another, we love you. So this week, would you give us opportunities to demonstrate our love. And in those moments, may we remember the love that we have received and therefore by grace, love that we can extend to one another. The love of your son on the cross for us while we were still sinners, undeserved, unmerited, and unmeritable grace. May that love inform our love in order that people might know who you are, you might receive the glory in all things. We pray for those of us, those who are here today that, that might not know you at all. Maybe they've heard about you, maybe they've heard about Jesus, maybe they've heard about your love, but they've never experienced your love. We can't love until we've been loved. God, you demonstrated that love to us. And so Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, doesn't know you as Father, has never trusted you by faith, I pray even now that just in the quietness of this moment, that they would recognize that, that their sin has separated them from God, from you, God, and that in love you have sent your Son to pay for that sin in order to forgive them of their sin, and bring them back to God through repentance and faith in the work of Jesus. It is the work of Jesus that saves. And may we respond now. May those respond in repentance and faith this morning. Believing on Jesus as the only way to the Father. We pray this in the name of your Son, who loved us in order that we might love. 
Amen. Our God, you raise-